Hello, dear friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. Today's episode is a special one. I'm dedicating it to my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, and it's all about what to do um, during the first month of your child's life. If you are new here, welcome. My name is Cindy Huffington. I'm a mom of three, ages three, five, and seven, and I have a doctor degree in neuroscience. My goal is not only to share the science with you, but to help you feel seen. Sometimes we just question what we're doing as parents, especially when we're new parents. And I want you to be confident that you're doing the the right thing. And in the end, even if you're doing something that you're not sure that you're not sure of or you think you made a mistake, the beautiful part of parenting is that there's always a way to make it up, you know, make up for it and and have conversations with your child or to try again tomorrow. That is why I exist and why Curious Neuron is here. Um so today's episode is what to do during the first month of your child's life. Before I begin, I would like to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute here in Montreal at the Neuro for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. This podcast would not be possible without you. And I'd like to thank you, the listeners, for taking a time, uh, your time to leave um, a rating and a review on iTunes. You can do so on Spotify now, I believe. Um, and you could f- subscribe and follow us on YouTube as well. The videos will be up on YouTube. I've put a few up. And um, as a follow-up to this conversation, today. I will be showing up live this Wednesday, November 2nd on YouTube at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So if you do have questions and you have a child who's coming, um, you're you're expecting a, a newborn, you know, a baby soon, or you have a newborn baby, come join me on our YouTube channel. All the links are in the show notes. So if you're not sure how to join us, just check the show notes for this episode, wherever you're listening to your podcast episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at curious underscore neuron or visit our website at curiousneuron.com where you could purchase a course or a pdf at the academy and we're trying to add more to this academy or you could join a research study or read a blog post so thank you to all of you let's join and let's hop on into this conversation i think it's such a fascinating one um i was having this discussion with my brother-in-law the other day and he was questioning like what is his role as a dad you know during the first or as a parent during the first month of his child's life um and i thought this was such a beautiful question because i'm sure that many of you um maybe have the same question and there are a few things that we can keep in mind all backed by research obviously um so i wanted to have this um this podcast episode and obviously dedicated to andrew and kemi who are having their baby any day now um so let's begin by the parent themselves so there are five things i'm going to discuss first nurturing yourself as a parent and that's for moms and dads um Second is is you know uh, communicating together uh, with your partner, family members, friends with when it comes to your needs. I think it's such an important point and I'm excited to get to that part because it's something that I forgot or did not do as a parent. The third one will be about um, skin to skin and attachment. The fourth point will be about tummy time. And the fifth point will be about stimulation and their senses. So let's jump into um, discussing what do I mean when I say nurture yourself? So let's just picture this moment. You have a a baby who's a couple days old. You're still adjusting to this new life of not really sleeping or waking up every hour or two hours. Both mom and dads, both moms and dads have an extremely important role in these couple, you know, these, these first couple of months and years, obviously, but the first couple of months, this child is starting to understand what their environment looks like, who's in this environment, what are their roles in their life. And I think that sometimes we neglect to talk about the important, the important role of a dad. 
obviously the mom's role is very important, but dads can do a lot of the same things that moms are doing. If um, you want to do some skin to skin, the dad can do this as well. So that can give mom a little bit of time, especially if she's been nursing and she's still adjusting to nursing or she's feeding the baby and she's been getting up during the night. There are ways that when the father is around that you can take these opportunities to bond with your child. And lots of research shows that when you are bonding with your child, whether you're a mom or a dad, you are experiencing very similar changes in your brain, parts of your brain that are involved in social skills and helping you become more attached to this new human, this new human being that's in your life. Those parts of the brains are, are being altered and, and it's helping you nurture your child and respond to them when they're crying. And it is... Um, time, not time dependent, but the more, uh, the more time that you spend with your baby and the more contact that you have with your baby, the more your brain changes and starts to adapt to this new environment and this new child. And obviously all these hormones and this, these hormones that are allowing you to connect with your child, they're being released. So that's regardless of being a mom or a dad, or even a parent who has adopted a child, has adopted a baby, they're, um, when you're looking at them in the eyes, you're releasing hormones that are allowing you to connect those love hormones, like I said. Um, so that that time, that first month is actually a really interesting one um, because lots of the interactions that you're having with your child are allowing them to connect with you. Now, in, with regards to nurturing yourself, there's going to be times when, for example, if your baby is crying a lot, you might not have ever experienced this just like I had. Um, I had never experienced holding a newborn baby when I had my first child seven years ago, I had never experienced, you know, being a, around a child who's crying. I never experienced, obviously none of us have, or maybe a few of us have, but you know, it, waking up every single hour throughout the night and nursing every single hour and then eventually two hours, but just having to, um, to tend to another human being please accept that this is not part of your normal life and this is new. So you have to adjust to that. So give yourself the grace and give yourself that that sort of self-compassion to, you know, if you're struggling with it and it's feeling overwhelming, it's okay. You're allowed to have those moments when you're just tired and you just need to take a break. And that's why it's important as couples, if you are living with somebody, um, to, to express when you do need a moment. Um, and I hope that if there are dads listening, that you see, one, that you have an extremely important role in building that bond with your child and helping their brain develop because the more you have contact with them whether it's you know eye contact or if you change their diaper and there's that touch or if you're holding them while they're they're, they're sleeping you are helping their brain develop and they are helping your brain change so there's this really beautiful um, relationship that you both are creating and with moms as well all of that connection and that time that you're spending with your child is helping their brain develop. And what I want parents to remember as well is both moms and dads can have postpartum depression or anxiety. So it goes back to nurturing yourself. If you do need a moment, it's okay to have to step away if there's been a lot of crying or if you're overwhelmed and you're tired and your body is still adjusting to the lack of sleep. It's okay to ask your partner or a family member or a friend to, to be with your baby while they sleep or just to be with them for a little while if they're not hungry yet or, you know, if they're feeding with, you're feeding them um, with formula or a bottle, just take that time to step away if you have to. Don't feel guilty as if 
you're not a good parent because you need to step away. I wish somebody would have told me that um, when I had my first child because I had this image of perfection and everything's okay, everything's fine and you're nursing and sure, I'm okay, like I can do this. When in the end, you know, if if I would have just allowed a bit more help, um, allowed people to cook for me so that I didn't have the stress of like nursing and then cooking and nursing again and, and cleaning the dishes and, you know, it, it was hard to try to balance everything. And in retrospect, I wish I had the mentality that I do today where you can look at your house and say, it's a mess, but it's not a priority right now. Being with my kids is a priority or taking time for myself is a priority. I wish I would have started that from the beginning. Um, so if you are a parent who's expecting or you just had a child, I hope that you can be um, self, you know, have that self-compassion aspect of early on and, and not have the guilt. And if somebody is making you feel guilty about having to take time um, to step away or to take a shower, an uninterrupted shower, just that, <laughs> it feels so good. Um, but if if somebody is making you feel guilty about that, please try your best to disregard them. Um, you should not feel guilty as a mom for needing time to yourself. The touch aspect was very difficult for me always having somebody on you sometimes you just want to like disconnect you love your baby that doesn't mean you don't love them but you just want time alone where nobody is on you and and just it's it's okay to put your baby in their chair their bouncy chair whatever you have or to pass them on to your partner or again to call a family member or a friend and just say hold them for you know 20 30 minutes i just want to take a shower or a bath or anything that you need your needs matter Again, I wish somebody would have told me that just because you have a baby, it doesn't mean that your needs go out the window. You still have needs as a parent. You still have needs as a partner, as a mom or dad. You still have needs as a human. <laughs> so if your needs right now in the moment are silence and you need that, you can do that for a couple minutes, whatever time you need. Um, you can ask for that help. You can do all of this. And what's important as well is postpartum depression and anxiety can uh, sneak up at any point. It could be um, for myself with my second child, I had a lot of anxiety and started the symptoms of depression during my pregnancy. I was, I was overworked and it was my OBGYN who told me to stop working. And as soon as I was able to rest, to rest a little bit, um, then things changed for me. I was able to um, focus on my own mental health. And he had warned me that if I was experiencing these um, extreme moments of sadness, which I was, um, and, and really dark moments during pregnancy, that it's um, increasing your chances to postpartum depression and anxiety. So if you are pregnant and waiting or, and expecting your child soon, and you're experiencing a lot of sadness when you're crying a lot, and you have no control over it or, or no understanding, you can't even put some words to it and explain why it's happening, I would really recommend that you, one, speak to your doctor about it, and two, um, realize that this can impact you after the pregnancy, after you deliver, and that this could be... Um, uh, like a, it could it could increase the chances of postpartum depression and anxiety. Um, monitor this in yourselves if you are partners living at home together. Monitor the your mental health together. If one of your partners, sometimes you don't realize it by the way when we're in these moments, but if one of your part if your partner um, starts being more irritable or showing rage, you know like there's no more, I don't know, milk in the fridge. And all of a sudden they're just, it's not about being angry. It's more than that. It's rage. 
then, um, or they're crying a lot, or they're distancing themselves a lot, or they're, um, they don't seem to enjoy certain things. Like, let's say they would go for a lot of walks, or they would um, have conversations with friends or certain family members, and they're not doing that anymore. If, if their sleep is changing differently than waking up to a newborn, but just um, even when the baby is sleeping, if they're staying awake because they're anxious about the baby and worried that something happens when the baby is sleeping to the point that this mom or dad isn't sleeping anymore, those are signs of anxiety. So we have to really uh, monitor ourselves and make sure that our mental health is okay. And that's why it's so important to nurture yourself. Before I jump into the second one, I spoke about the partner, actually. Um, I spoke about um, making sure that you are comfortable asking your partner for help, and then that's not a weakness. So actually, before I jump into the skin to skin, um, I know that Andrew had asked me to share my birthing stories. Uh, I have, I've never, <laughs> I've never done this publicly, so thanks, Andrew. But I thought it would be important to share that because maybe you're about to have a baby and you're questioning, like, what is this going to look like? The reason why I can basically describe how it feels from beginning to end is because I did give birth to three of my kids without an epidural. In retrospect, I told my sister-in-law, like, there's no reason for you to do this. <laughs> Don't, you know, I, I just did it, one, because I'm actually really afraid of needles to the point that I didn't want an epidural. And then I tried it with my first. Um, I had this whole idea of like hypnobirthing and I had practiced certain things that I found on YouTube. It helped to learn. Um, I had read this book I forget her name now, but it's this doula and it's a book that's really old, but it spoke about um, each contraction uh, to visualize each contraction as this, this wave. So obviously you feel the contraction coming and there's a wave, you, you know, you get to the tip at some point and then it comes back down. And I actually, um, had this image in my mind throughout all three pregnancies uh, when I was delivering and it really helped my mindset, I guess, or my my brain understand that the pain I'm experiencing is, is very short-lived. And although you know another one is coming, it just really helped in that moment to remind yourself how short-lived it was. Um, with my three deliveries, I moved around a lot. I didn't want to be um, you know, constrained or anything because the more that I moved, the more that I was able to move my hips, the more that I was able to walk. I tried the that bouncy ball or that exercise ball. It didn't work for me personally. I tried leaning over it. Um, that didn't help. Um, for me, it was just about walking. And every time a contraction came, I just like kept moving. I, I, I don't know how to describe this movement, but I kept moving my hips left and right, left and right, like bending my knees and then straightening them. It, it just, that movement helped through the pain. And then like, if you had to scream through it or whatever I had to do, um, at one point I was rapping through my contractions. I have videos, if you don't believe me, <laughs> that is how my husband and I actually connected as teenagers. Um, Anthony, my husband um, and I, we've been together since we were 16 years old and now we are 39, just to give you an idea. <laughs> we've been together a long time married now for uh, 13 years I think yeah <laughs> um, but we uh, we really connected on music when we were young and we listened to a lot of you know Mace and uh, later on Eminem and uh, P. Diddy or whatever he's called now I don't know um, Biggie and and we just know all those songs by heart so when I was in, having contractions um, and this is so funny that I'm saying it out loud <laughs> Um, but when I was having contractions, I would just like say the words of certain songs um, to like get through it and focus my brain on saying something else through memory. Uh, and it really helped me. Uh, not that it made the pain go away, but it's just that it, it, it 
made the moment feel faster, I guess. But again, you don't have to do this. <laughs> you don't have to deliver your child without the epidural. That is entirely your choice. However, this brings me to another point. I had this whole plan. Um, you know, I had I wanted to play some music, turn the lights down during my first delivery, and nothing went to plan in the sense that as the pain got more intense and, and worse, I didn't care about all that. I didn't care about like having a certain environment. For me, it was just about getting through it. And then there all of a sudden there's a sensation that like you have to go to the bathroom and that's when the baby's coming that's that's when it's coming out so it, it my first delivery with my daughter i um uh i actually started pushing and i wasn't on my back i was pushing standing up um but leaning forward uh, the doctor allowed me to do that I was extremely grateful. I had never thought of doing that that way. I didn't know if they would allow me to do that. I had read about it, but being in that position kind of helped gravity and the pushing felt a little bit better. But because this was new to me, I had never experienced this and I still struggled a bit. So I finished off by delivering her um, lying down and they brought a mirror. I They had asked me and I, I said, yes, I wanted to see the whole thing. And uh, I not only did I get to see it in the mirror, but I got to pull her out. So the the last push. Um, so that was a really beautiful experience. I did not do this with the other two kids. My boys were a much more difficult delivery, not as <laughs> picturesque as the first one. My second child had a, a larger head and that became uh, obviously much more difficult. And the third one, um, he turned around during uh, labor and then that made it much harder to push him out um but but eventually he came out i don't know if you wanted these details but that's what my brother-in-law wanted to know i guess you know if you're expecting your first child you have no idea what to expect in the delivery room and in the end it's really important that you communicate with the people what you need and what you want there's no right way to do it there's no wrong way to do it and maybe you went in there you know you're going into this delivery room and you practice i don't know what they were telling me about like certain pain points or or i don't know what it was but just like oh, pressure points and and massages and all of that for me i knew about that going into delivery for my um, first child and everything went out the window and that's okay it's not going to end up the way that you pictured it and some people you might end up in uh, an emergency c-section if something happens or they might end up having to use some tools just take a deep breath and and let your you know whatever happens it's okay it's not that you did anything wrong in case you need to hear this because sometimes we do put that on ourselves and nature will figure out what's best for you and your child in that moment um okay let's move on to my second uh, my third point so lots of skin to skin in case doctors don't tell you about this or even if you have a c-section sometimes the doctors don't immediately place the baby on your um on your chest if there's one thing that I really encourage that you push for, it's that your baby is on your chest um, immediately, if you can, immediately after the delivery. So even if they're, um, you know, putting on the stitches and, and doing what they have to do after, um, having your baby on you until they really need it, as long as it's safe and if they don't have to, sometimes with my my third child, they didn't put him directly on me because he was blue when he came out. So they had to make sure he was okay. And then he was he was fine after a couple minutes and then they put him on my chest. That kind of delay is fine, but you really want to make sure that they put them directly on the chest. One, because instinctively your baby will look for milk um, and will look for the nipple. So that's 
they I, there's a word for it there's a i think it's climb something climb but the baby will um start looking for the the mother's nipple on your chest um and that's something very natural and you want to try to allow it if you can and if this is something that you choose to do um but at least having your baby on your chest and then um uh, after they take care of the baby and they weigh your child um, ask them to put them back on your chest if possible, because you do want to have as much of that skin to skin. Once you come home with your baby, continue that skin to skin as much as you can. And like I said before, both moms and dads can do the skin to skin. When the baby is sleeping, when the baby is awake, you can put your child on your chest, even when they're awake, and they're going to naturally lift their neck up. And that's tummy time because tummy time uh, should start right from day one. So if you don't want to put them down on the floor or on the couch or on a little play mat right away when they're only one or two days old, when you get home with, when you arrive home, you can place them on your chest and just the fact that they're raising their heads a little bit just to try to see you um, is a great way for them to start the tummy time. And then if they're sitting beside you on the couch, you can place them there a few seconds. They're going to cry most probably, and that's okay. Um, just do it more often during the day with a uh, so increase the frequency and decrease the amount of time, right? So if after 10 seconds they start crying, okay, then you could remove them, but then do it again in like, you know, five, 10 minutes so that you're doing it more often and they're getting used to that position. The reason why tummy time is so important is because they're starting to develop all those neck muscles and muscles that are connected everywhere else in their body just by raising their head up. And they're doing it because they want to see what's around. You want to give them that freedom. So it's great to do that any way you possibly can. The skin to skin part, there's a lot of research around skin to skin, especially if you had a preemie baby and they came early. You can do that skin to skin. It regulates their heartbeat, their their um, breathing rate. It's skin to skin at the hospital and at home. There's no um, wrong not a wrong answer, but you don't have to stop after a certain amount of time. You stop when you want. But I think with my first, no, actually all three of my kids, I think I did a lot of skin to skin in the first three months. Basically I was home with them, right? I, you know, just was chilling, hanging out. So what I did is when they were napping, um, you know, I would, sometimes they wanted to sleep on me. Actually, I think most of the time they wanted to sleep on me. So I let them, um, which means if you're listening to this, it means that not a lot gets done around the house and it's fine. Your baby will only be three months for three months. <laughs> it's a short amount of time. Um, and I know that it feels so difficult because maybe supper isn't getting done or you haven't washed the laundry, but please allow yourself to experience these first two, three months where as long as it's not impacting your mental health, but allow yourself to leave the house the way that it is. Who cares what somebody thinks? You are taking care of your baby. And if your family members or friends are like my grandma <laughs> and they call your baby spoiled because when they're crying, you attend to them or because you're always holding them, you can let those comments go let in, in one ear, out the other. Um, there is so much research around the fact that when you attend to your baby's needs, right? So back to that, um, that Daniel Siegel book, uh, The Power of Showing Up, you are helping your child's brain develop. You are helping them feel seen and soothed. You are developing their nervous system. You are helping them feel rewarded. All of these things will help them when they're older, especially that stress system. Um, when they are crying, 
especially for a longer period of time, and if you're not around, they're going to feel more stressed. But when you're there, even if you're, you're, they see you and you're crying, and they're crying, if you have to go to the bathroom or take a shower, that's okay. You can sing to them. You can talk to them. They are still being soothed by your voice. Um, but just responding to them helps them feel safe. And when they feel safe and soothed by you, their nervous system will develop very differently than if they are being ignored or neglected and feel alone and not safe. That is something completely different that happens to the brain. Um, That is why so many people out there, experts and researchers, are really advising parents, new parents, about the impact of ACEs. In case you've never heard of an ACE, it's an adverse childhood experience. And there are three categories, neglect, abuse, and child um, and household dysfunction. Household dysfunction could be the mental health of a parent. When you are not mentally well, you will or might struggle with the needs of your child because your needs you know, are not being met and you are struggling with your own emotions that's okay. That doesn't make you a bad parent. That doesn't make you a bad human. It makes you normal because many parents go through this. Many parents don't even realize that they're going through this. So if you're struggling with bonding with your child, you don't feel attached to them. You don't feel connected. Some parents experience this. And if it's lasting a couple of weeks and you're getting close to your first month after you brought your child home, please speak to a doctor. It means that there are just maybe... Um, differences in your brain. Your brain didn't adapt or change in a certain way and that's okay. There might be some medication that you have to take or there might be some therapy that you need to help you. But that is why it's so important for you to think of yourself um, first because your needs matter and help you take care of your baby. So when your baby is crying, again, if you have to shower or pee and this happens every once in a while, that's okay. But on average, you do want to respond to this newborn baby um, and, and hold them if they have to. And it's if, you know, a baby that wants to be in your arms. I've read a lot of messages on Facebook groups for pa- parents or moms that question, like, is my baby okay? They, they're two weeks old and all they want to do is be in my arms. It's okay. That is very normal. They are um, building that connection to you and, and sensing what it feels like to be safe in those arms. They're, they're connecting to your heartbeat. They're listening to that. They're they're just trying to um, understand their environment and you are a big part of their environment. All right, the next one and the last one is about their senses. And I guess the skin to skin comes into that. Your The first couple of uh, weeks, your child actually isn't, uh, no, not in weeks, um, I would uh, the first couple of months, I think up to three months, your your child or your baby isn't seeing as well as you see. So first they're seeing not black and white, but sort of um, things are very blurry and things um, it's you're sort of just like a blob <laughs> uh, to them in their eyes. But it's OK to have images in front of them because their eyes are learning, but more than anything, and I don't know if you've heard the episode that I had with Marion uh, a couple months ago, or a year ago now, actually, um, I, I'll, I'll add that to the show notes, but your child's vision is adjusting to what they're seeing in their environment. So taking walks is really important. Adjusting their circadian rhythm um, by being out in the morning and at night, at you know, when the sun is setting, that'll help them with sleep. So you don't have to worry about sleep training, especially in a one month old. But what you do want to help them with is building that system, that circadian rhythm through the, the amount of sunlight they're seeing. And if they're seeing the sun early in the morning or not 
doesn't have to be 5 a.m., but when the sun is rising or, you know, when they wake up in the morning and at nighttime, having certain times when you're taking those walks will help them adjust to the visual things that they're seeing. They're going to hear lots of sounds, see lots of things outside, you know, the trees and the sky and the light. All of that is really important for not only their the, the development of their visual system, but their circadian rhythm. So that's another important point. Um, one thing I used to do with my kids is I used to walk around even when they were younger, but I used to hold them in my arms and walk around and look at like picture frames in the house or look at a mirror. If you have a mirror, take the time uh, when they're awake to look at the mirror together, um, You can have a mirror uh, on the floor in front of them when they're doing tummy time. Um, one month old, you know, the, it's tummy time again is short and there's not a lot of play. You don't have to worry about toys. Honestly, for the first month, um, I would have some sort of squishy ball that makes sounds Um not by pressing a button, but by squishing it like that crinkly sound and something like a little ring that you could um, play with them just like when they open their hand a little bit and you place something in their hand. Nothing more than that. There are no toys needed at one month old um, and we don't have to overstimulate them with background noise and, and, and gadgets and things that people make you think are educational for a one month old. You know, whatever, no, not giving out names, but They don't need to hear certain songs at a month. Um, there's no research around that. So just the silence, the you know natural background noise, um, no TV in front of them if possible, no need for screen time in front of them. Um, again, their visual system is developing. TV is very fast. Um, TV shows, movies, YouTube, they don't need that at a month old. Let their system develop at the pace that they need. So outside, seeing a bird fly, seeing a car pass by is what they need in their environment. And that's what's going to help with their um, development. I hope that this um, episode was helpful to you if you are expecting your new, ch a new uh, child or if you just had a child. One thing I forgot to mention is a baby massage. I did that with all three of my kids and it's another way to um, work on their senses and stimulate their senses and to really connect with them. And it's another way of doing skin to skin. Um, so Andrew and Camille, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you all did as well. Please take a moment to rate the Curious Neuron podcast anywhere you're listening to podcasts. Subscribe and join us on YouTube this uh, Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Um, Wednesday is November the 2nd. I will do a follow-up. So if you have questions and you're expecting your child soon or just delivered, um, join me on YouTube live or come say hi on Instagram. I hope you all have a beautiful and lovely week. I'll see you next week. Bye.